right, guys. Welcome to the Guns, Gear, and Beer podcast. I'm your host, Derek Campbell. Today, I'm joined again by Tu Lam from Ronin Tactics and Nathan Schultz from Schultz Photography. Thank you guys for jumping back in. Last segment was absolutely awesome. No problem. I'm definitely, what was the name of that book you recommended to? I'm definitely going to pick that one up. The Devil's Guard. The Devil's Guard. I'd never heard that story before. That definitely sounds sounds very interesting. Yeah, it's a pretty brutal book. And it talks about the realities of war, but it also talks about unconventional warfare, right? And, and what I want to talk about unconventional warfare is this. You know, I'm a student of Sanju. I'm a student of the art of war. I have read its books and its texts. I was trained in the arts of war by special forces and, and different special operations units. We applied a lot of their, his tactics. And one of his tactics in his book, The Art of War, was why, why fight an army when you just pick away his troops? See, that is the roots of unconventional warfare, right? Or UW mission. That's how America was founded. You know, we came here, that's how we were able to win against a superior military force of its time. We're just a bunch of colonists, you know? We are not even recognized as Americans. We didn't even have an army. But how can a, a force of irregulars win against a established superpower with an advanced navy of its time? We did it through unconventional warfare. And I've seen this multiply throughout different continents throughout my whole career. You see, I was trained on unconventional warfare. Um, we, we help establish governments. We help uh, destroy rebels through unconventional warfare. So um, that that's a great that's a great teachings of unconventional warfare. And that book, The Devil's Guard, is home uh, about unconventional warfare because they were just a group of small little commando strike force, and they were able to wreak havoc on the North Vietnamese in their own terrain. See? So it's, it's a book that, you know, when you read it, it should be really studied and respected. Absolutely. And especially uh, as we continue uh, our war on terror, it seems that that will be uh, a theme for, for quite some time. Yeah, but also, you know, the terrorists are employing unconventional warfare on us. You know, unconventional warfare is hit and run tactics. It's buying strategy the media involved, it, it goes into so many different levels of unconventional warfare. When I say get the media involved, now you're you're scaring the public, right? You're you're establishing a mindset of fear, and that's terrorism. Okay, so um, when I look at the terrorist tactics, and you know, I fought terrorism war-wise. I fought for 14 years, uh, 23 years of unconventional warfare in special forces. But what I found when fighting these guys was, yeah, they're employing the same tactics and strategy. You know, against us, you know, that how we won and became a superpower, you know, how, how did we defeat a superpower's time, hit and run tactics, sabotage operations, cut off line of communications, win the hearts and minds of supporters, right? So when you look at the terrorist networks, they're kind of doing the same thing, right? But their cause, right, is very violent, right? So um, that's why it's very hard to fight this war, you know, because we don't have a defined battlefield, you know, we don't have... They're not out, you know, in their uniforms, raising, you know, and us duking it out on a established war zone. The wars now are fought everywhere. I, I have fought in every continent in the world, every single one. You know, South America, Asia, Africa, Northern Europe, I, Middle East, I have fought in every continent. So I can tell you that that book, when you read it, uh, it, it definitely reached home to me after serving for so long. Absolutely. And we do have an interesting question in the chat for you. Uh, is from Nathan. 
asking, uh, when do you choose whether to use a plate carrier or just a chest rig? When do you make the decision as to whether armor is required or not? So during the beginning of the war, um, I was in the Philippines. I was fighting the global war of terror Philippines and walking through the jungles. You know, so when I say, you know, we, we talk about offsets, right? So an offset is helicopter comes in, drops you off and you walk, right? Or a vehicle drops you off at a certain point and you walk in. Well, our offset in the Philippines is three to four days through triple canopy jungle, right? And then you're going to culminate with some kind of assault, some kind of commando raid to, you know, if it's a hostage rescue or it's just eliminating a busaya. But the thing was, you're walking three to four days in the jungle. You're not going to wear body armor, okay? Um, there was many times I didn't even bring in body armor, right? Because I was going off with Vietnam War tactics. I had to be able to be stealthful. I had to be able to move. I'm carrying up to 120 pounds on my back of combo, you know, and weapons and ammo on my on my backpack, you know, because we're about to do a raid. So, so you have to look at the terrain, right? You have to look at your purpose. Are you going to make enemy contact in the jungles? Maybe if it's if the intelligence is there and the, the enemy is in that general area, but you have to look at it like this. When when I first joined the military, nobody, hardly anybody would wear body armor. It was a peacetime, right? Only it was during that time of like, you know, uh, Panama, um, we're fighting the drug wars, you know, in South America, Central America. Um, before 9-11 happened, there wasn't a lot going on. You know, we were, even in special forces, we we're doing a lot of training missions around the world, training rebels and, and doing, doing the special forces. Thing. It wasn't after the uh, 9-11 attacks is when, we started realizing that, you know, some of my friends was deployed over to Afghanistan. I was deployed over to the Philippines. Eventually, we went off the wars in Iraq. And my equipment from the Philippines and moving into an urban environment where, you know, you're in close proximity of the enemy. You're, you're about five feet from the enemy. You're going to probably need some kind of body armor, you know. And then our infill platform, our, our, uh, our vehicle departing area, our BDO, or our our offsets were, were shorter. Maybe we're walking eight clicks or four clicks instead of three to four days. You see? So I can afford to wear body armor. So it's it's first analyzing the terrain, understand your operational environment, and then understand your tactics. Is it require more stealth or require more speed and violence? If it requires more speed and violence, you need to enter with protective armor. You know, are you going into close proximity to enemy versus Afghanistan where maybe you're you're dropping bombs Ridge lines, you know, and if you enter a a, a village, then probably you want to armor up, right? So it, to me, it depends on the situation, it depends on the mission, and it depends on my tactics. And to, to go off to what you're saying, it's like when I was, because I was in infantry school when September 11th happened, and all the way up until when we left for Afghanistan uh, over at the 82nd Airborne, we didn't leave until June of 2002. So even up until then, we were still wearing LCEs with no body armor whatsoever. It wasn't until about maybe a month and a half, two months before we rolled out when we finally started getting the IBAs and actually started wearing armor and having to change our tactics wearing armor, especially through Afghanistan. So, yeah, it's definitely dictated. When I, when I went into the recon and LERS, it was definitely where we started looking at slick down plate carriers and wearing, you know, figuring out how we can be lighter for movement with recon alert stuff. So it was a lot of different changes of how it, it definitely did dictate, you know, are you going to be in a truck for eight hours doing a, a patrol on streets or are you going to be dismounted going in and out of buildings? So it, it really does dictate 
what's your 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 mission profile and like how far you're gonna have to move because i mean we did a movement in iraq in 2002 where we flew in and then did a 30 click movement to the next objective the next morning and we had guys dropping like flies because we're moving that much equipment on our bodies with you know you have your whole vest loaded up with ammo and then a hundred pound rucksack or assault pack to move 30 clicks to another objective to be there for the next morning i mean i I watched like two radio operators go down like within maybe a couple hours of us starting the whole movement. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's what people don't understand is if you, uh, if you plan poorly and uh, guys are going to go down prior to even hitting that objective. You know, you plan, if your mission's too complicated, things are going to go wrong. So that's why it goes down into understanding your operational environment and understanding your mission and your tactics, right? So um, even there was a certain, certain portion in my career in the war where I didn't wear uniform. I wore civilian clothes majority of my, I would say majority of my career was in civilian clothes just because I had to operate outside of the war zones. You know, I had to work outside of the war zone. It's just as dangerous. In fact, it's more dangerous because in the war zones, we had eye in the sky, right? We had the Pred feeds. We had um, the, the uh, Sigit interdictions. We had, I mean, you, you name it. We had reinforcement. We had big army. We had everything. Well, when you stick a green beret into a foreign, let's say, let's say a foreign country like Yemen, well, you're not going to have all those assets. You're not going to have those war assets. In fact, you're not going to even have body armor. So understand your operational environment, you know, because if I'm working at an embassy and I'm going to do some kind of reconnaissance mission in some country, um, I can't roll out in body armor. I can't have, I, I, I can't be in uniform, right? The, 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 biggest, the biggest weapon I have on me is probably a pistol. You know, you see what I'm saying? So your mindset has to change from that body armor because body armor, yeah, it's great, but, but it's going to be very uh, overt, you know, it's going to draw a lot of attention to you. There's a lot of times you can't wear body armor in a lot of countries. You can't wear body armor. You can't, you can't diplomatic pouch it. You can't bring it in mm-hmm. right? because it's not a declared war zone. So the government dictates your rules of engagement before you come in. So let's say you go into a really bad area. And your role of engagement is, I don't know, to defend yourself. Or they're not going to give you all these war assets, you see, because the military can't claim that we're, we're there doing operations because it's covert. So a lot of the, the helmets and body armor and stuff like that, a lot of times like, you just don't have it. Yeah, and it's just one of those things that you're, you're going to rely more on your, if something, I mean, with that type of thing, it's your incognito your discretion is actually more of your armor than actually having to armor up because like you're saying you can't bring it in there but you don't your objective is not to be seen to blend in with everything else and to be doing whatever it is you know reconnaissance work or whatever else you're doing is you're trying to be the least person that missing out of anything and with having all that stuff you're going to be you know it's you're the Banana in the in the sea of apples. It's kind of type of best way to describe it. Especially you know a two hundred and ten pound Asian tattooed out. Yeah. <laughs> with, with you know because I was raised uh, I was way I was raised in the south. So some of my um, you know some of my speeches is since the, the country twang in it right because I was raised in the south. So I, I did have a country accent that the military has worked really hard to get rid of. Mm-hmm. You know, but some some words will come out, right? So how do you hide yourself? Because a two hundred pound Asian guy tattooed out in Yemen, I don't care what you you 
and where or what you think you're, you're still not, you shouldn't be there, you see? So a lot of my body armor, I guess you could say, was my tradecraft, my fieldcraft, you know, the way I think things through, you know? So um, when you work at those type of extremes and you're, you're, you know, like I said, in those environments, you're not going to have it. So uh, to answer, answer his question is, like I said, know your operational environment, know what you're doing. If, if you're just wearing it for home defense, you know, that's fine. But, you know, unless you have walked 30K with Bonnie <laughs> and you really don't know, right? So you wear when you need to. Awesome answer. Sometimes it's safer to not be seen and not wear any body armor than to wear it and be seen. We have took a side plate before and put it over our heart because that's all we had. Yeah. Um, not that it's going to stop anything, but maybe it'll give you a better mindset about it. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I remember, I remember doing re, recon, recon work in Iraq and, you know, we'd be us, re, our recon team would be in burkas and we'd have our interpreter driving whatever vehicle we were, we, we had at the time. And we, we had a couple of jingle trucks that we jacked and we had a couple of BMWs we jacked and we would, we would literally like, we, you know, we're six foot, six, you know, six foot one, six foot two, a couple of guys are, you know, five, 10, five, 11. We got our, you know, some of us had beards, some of us didn't, but you know, so we're wearing burkas and we have maybe a snub MP5 or a short, short on weapon underneath of it, wearing a police vest. And then we're, you know, sitting in the back of a truck or sitting in the back of a vehicle. And then our interpreter's driving. And it's, that was the only way we could actually get around and gather real Intel without anybody going, you know, cause you roll out of a freaking fob in five Humvees. People know you're coming 20 hours before you get anywhere. So it was always, we tried to find some way, you know, we, we would sneak out, our back gate walking out at night and then go to some house that we would hide at dump some gear, some leave some guys there to watch our gear. And then our interpreter would literally come later from his own house with a vehicle. And we would literally dress up in burkas, jump in a vehicle. And that's how we would go and recon. And, and that's the only way we could do it at the time. I remember in 06, a lot of us, well, some of us got killed doing that. You know, a lot of the relying on the indigenous driver, then we started indigging up, right, with makeup and everything else. But, you know, they're going to know by the way you drive. They're going to know by the mannerisms and stuff like that. So um, with, with some of the more secret stuff, we started getting into really high-level understanding infrastructure, you know. So you don't have to be out there physically to do it. You're, you basically become a very smart soldier. You become smarter at how you're going to collect your intelligence. You know? So, um, but those are all hard lessons learned, right? Oh, yes. So our TTP had to change really fast because guys were getting killed. You know, certain things were not working. So we had to we had to be really smart. So, um, but with with a lot of that said, to tie in the conversation is don't think so conventionally. You know, don't think that war is about night vision, helmets, and body armor, and, and long guns. Because I, I could tell you, like majority of my war was fought very covert. You know, so. When I say that, it was, yeah, I, I did my battlefield time, but a lot of my other stuff was I would enter countries where they don't know you're there. Right? And that's when you rely on stealth and tradecraft, streetcraft, and all that stuff, you know? So, um, yeah, so enough on the body armor. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's really interesting. And we've made some really good points that you have to think much more of the big picture. It's not, it's not as black and white. Yeah, Derek, you need to go out and train without your vest sometimes. Not always have it on there, buddy. I, I don't. I actually, I, I'll put it on for some promotional pictures and then I take it off. <laughs> That's about it. I do it for uh, for cool stuff to sell things. And then I'm like, okay, it's time to take that off. 
Yeah, and a lot of the binaries is a fucking overkill. Like yeah. a lot of these guys and these poor soldiers, man, they can't even fucking off ramp off a vehicle because their body armor is so ridiculously bulky. You know, um, my body armor is very streamlined, very narrow. Yeah, I mean, I have as much protection as they do, but I can tell you, I move fucking fast. Okay, and when I move, it's going to be very hard to hit. So a lot of those other guys, they can't even get out of the vehicle. You see, so if you get caught up on the X on the ambush, how the fuck are you even going to get out of that vehicle? You're already dead because anybody who's been in a, a vehicle or ambush or or who, who was on the getting in of an ambush or a vehicle interdiction will understand that the vehicle is a death block because once you hit that vehicle, that the bullet ricochets everywhere in that vehicle. So it don't matter if you have body armor, it might hit you in the neck, it hit you in the thigh, they could shoot through uh, tampered glass, it ricochets down, it hits you in the, in the fucking thigh. You, you see what I'm saying, right? So if you can't even get out of that death box, you're already lost. Yep, turtle. Basically, if you fall down, or turtle on its back on the shell. That's exactly a lot of the guys are like that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly how they're set up. So yeah, to answer your question, like you know, you gotta look at it too, like the bulkness of the body armor. How heavy is it? Is it an overkill? Because a lot of armor armor is an overkill. You know, I I had a guy tell me one time, well, why don't you wear like shoulder pads on your your body armor? <laughs> <laughs> not the depth, please. Not the depth system. Not again. No, no, no. Yeah, and I told him I was like. Why do you need shoulder pads? And he goes, you know, wait. I'm like, well, you need to go to the gym, first of all. Second, <laughs> and he goes, well, it gives you more protection. I'll say, to what? To what? Bullet's still going to go through it. Yeah. Right? A knife would still go through it. If I dig a blade right into his, you know, shoulder pad, it would go right through it. So that's what I'm saying. A lot of people get a misconception of what is protection. If they see a full body armor that covers everything to the side, what they don't understand is it's not covering your lung areas. So when you're in a room and you collapse your sector to your point of domination where you're still, you see you're exposing your weak points. So there's no there's no protection out there that's 100% guaranteed. So what's more important? Mobility? It was your time. It was your time. Yeah, because I remember, I, I know you have been in, I mean, a lot longer than I was. I was in for 12, but I was in from, you know, just when September 11th happened to 2013. So you, you were before when we weren't wearing armor as much, you know, basically the best armor we had at the time was flag vests all the way up to the point break, you know, IO, you know OTVs and the IOTVs. And then I know with you guys being in <clears throat> within the teams, you guys had your plethora of selections of what you guys could get. And then we, you know, especially in recon and Lurse and some of the units I was with too, we were able to pick and choose some of our stuff we were able to wear, but with the mobility is basically the same thing. But then when they started adding the DAP side plates and the shoulder pads, I mean, I remember being with some units where the guys literally had the shoulder pads, the throat protection, the crotch protection, the side protection. And you're like, those things are not going to stop anything. It'll actually be more detrimental wearing that than not wearing it because it's going to slow down the bullet and actually maybe lodge your neck instead of going through and through where you might survive a through and through shot. So, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I don't even, like right now, like if I do go out and shoot, I don't even have a vest because for one, I'm just, trying to find something new that i like but there's really i mean when people will say train like you fight flight or chain like you fight i mean how many times are you actually going to stop put a vest on and then go into a shoot if you have it thing man it's like you, you have to look at different people's work so my world now as a ronin i, I teach a lot of law enforcement i teach a lot mm -hmm. right and they they they're regulated to wear body armor yeah 
So then you have to teach them in that aspect. Oh, yeah, but I had to be real about it where I'm like, look, you don't need this shit. You don't need this. So I try to stream down enough where they can still live. But you, you know this big army, some freaking officer somewhere is going to like, oh, well, if you're riding around at home, the on base, you need a helmet on. Right. Because yeah. it's stupid like that. So the army plays stupid games like that. But sometimes we don't have decisions. Right. In, in special operations, we do. Yep. But, but what I'm saying is, got to know your operational environment you got to know your you know what is your mission what are you regulated to do but i'm I'm with you man body armor has fucking got over the top over the years you know it's body armor is body armor yeah it it could save your life and it has but the thing is this i'm not going to stop mobility because speed is what gets me to my cover and concealment speed is what allows me to return fire and outflank the enemy Mm -hmm. you know not having a fucking 60 pound body armor without without ammo yeah water so um 60 pounds of, of body armor without even ammo and water dude, how can you move you see even if you train like that, how can you really move because you still got to get out of the vehicles you have to step center of the door where you have to clear opposing threats in the house you know you get funneled into hallways and you know so you know afghanistan you're you're crawling through these little mud huts you're going to take off that shit anyways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying be realistic. Yeah. Well, well, with my theory, too, is especially like with people say training like you fight, I would rather go to the range and spend an hour and a half shooting 50 rounds to making sure I'm going to have my rounds on target, and then especially in those areas that I need it, than spend two hours and half that 45 minutes I'm dicking with fucking a vest and plate carrier and all this other stuff like that. I'd rather just spend the slow time using the ammo correctly and actually using the time correctly to shoot, make sure you're on target and you're proficient with the movement of your, and this handling the weapon period than having to be, well, I got to move this. I got to move that because this isn't working on the the way that my plate carrier is or the way my belt is at the time. Yeah. So like, you know, even now when I train civilians or I train the military, you know, I need to get a good group. I need to get a good shot group down. I need to look at their zero. Right. And a lot of them, they can't even, their shot groups sporadic. And a lot of times it's because they try to zero a body armor. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, trying to understand the, the ration behind this. And he was telling me that you train like you fight. That's why you don't. I said, yes, but you're building a baseline. So how can you build a baseline when nothing, you know, when you're, you're constantly fighting your body armor? Yep. You get belly to ground. Right. So you're not really building a, a true baseline. Because once you build a baseline, yeah, you can throw on body armor. Once you get your zero, but guys were trying to zero with body armor and helmet on for what? You're just trying to get a, a, a data zero on your yeah. Well, I I remember that too when it was when I went from I mean when I went from Lurs and stuff like that, and I went to I went to aviation after I got blown up and stuff like that. So I reclassed aviation for a while, and that's what brought me to Fort Hood. So leaving Fort Bragg and then coming to Fort Hood, Texas, it was like a different lifestyle for me from going from like kind of. You know, almost a special op- the special operations community to back the big army, and you know we're going to the range, and we're literally wearing everything. And I'm like, why? And people can't even zero when they're wearing everything. And you're like, and then you want them to go qualify with that zero. I'm like, this is the most ass backwards way you can ever do anything because you don't have, like I said, you don't have that baseline where to yeah. start from. And in fact, in war, I had three body armors. I had my low vis, really, um, like what the CIA used that that uh, the gray ones. Yep. Know, the, uh, yes. know, um, velocity, high velocities, 
Yes, yeah. It's it's pretty much almost exactly like a police officer's uh, on armor. Yeah. So the, the the spec ops guy, the agencies are using the high velocities. I remember uh, I had my medium ones, my uh, my medium assaults, where uh, I would come in with like a cry, you know, a uh, cage. That's what we we're issued. Yep. Didn't really like it. And then I had my my uh, my my quick strike force one, where if we had to go into a linear target, like a, a bus, a train, an airplane, whatever. I'll have something that's really narrow, you know. And I found out that 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 last one, where I hit trains, buses, and airplanes with, truly the body armor that I would free fall in with, that I would do assaults with. Um, yeah, it didn't give me the coverage I need, but man, I was fucking fast. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so you just got to streamline it down where you still have mobility, understand your operational environment, and pick and choose the equipment that's going to work for you. Absolutely. Do you have any uh, new gear in the works? I do. I'm, I'm actually going to launch something probably today because uh, we, we just went through the whole patent and make sure everything's good to go. Um, but I could talk about it now because I'm releasing it today. So basically, um, in the early days of the war, we were taking leather gun belts and we're using that as our operational belts. So if you look at some units, guys were wearing like regular leather belts. So what I wanted, especially with my, there was a certain portion of my career where I did a lot of low vis operations, um, and I didn't have, I couldn't afford to bring in the gun belts, but I had to be able to affect the assault if I needed. Okay, so um, I designed a a new uh, sleeve where I could put it onto any belt, a dress belt, leather belt, a Raiders belt, and then within I don't know five, no, within two minutes I can change a normal belt into my Ronin. So it gives you that low vis capability. It still gives you the rigid and the, uh, the security of a Ronin gun belt, but I can change every belt that you can bind anywhere into a Ronin gun belt, right? And how important is this? Especially, you know, you, you've done the, the recce missions, right? You're a lower yep. yep. So how important is it to blend in? Extremely. So you, you remember a lot of times when we're in our country, we will get some, some agency or some rebel that you're training uh, to go out and buy you clothes. Right. So you look like an Indian. Yep. Um, if I was to tell you, hey, you can't wear that gun belt, right? Because it's an army issue gun belt, but I want you to go in whatever, some some mall and get you a good leather belt. You get that, and then I can change that into a gun belt. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and think about all the shooters out there. Yep. They don't want to spend a lot of money on gun belt, but they want to use their, their comfortable belt. You can change that into a gun belt. That's that's really a smart idea. That's really cool. Yeah. So that was uh, we're releasing that, and then uh, I released a, a little vis inner belt, so the the Velcro inner belt, but inside the Velcro inner belt has a pile system where I could put mags to the inside of my gun belt, so it keeps everything very streamlined, and, and the pouches collapse. So as soon as I pull that mag out, the pouches collapse in, so it keeps everything very streamlined uh, and little vis on on the person and the. the Gun belt actually has like in pockets for blood chips, uh, in pockets for uh, you know, skeleton keys. Yes, yeah, small little eeny kit. Yeah, yeah, because you know guys have been taken. Mm-hmm. So within that first leap, you know when they get taken, then they move them to usually an offshoot place where they rip you down naked. Um, but during that first phase, you have a chance to get out, you know, or, or neutralize whoever your aggressors are. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I did a lot of that design because of, you know, my experience. So those are, those are getting released. And then, um, 
you know, Spartan Blaze and I were working on some more blades that they want to release. Uh, so we're working on a collaboration on fixed blade and um, working with some other knife companies and making some. Or what are the new gun belts going to be called? Uh, the Ronin Sleeves. Ronin Sleeves. Awesome. And so by the time this airs on iTunes and all that, they'll be available on your website? Yeah, yeah. So we just got our lawyer approved it. You know, everything's patented now. So, uh, and that's what we're waiting on. And then we just got it. Ruthie just told me this morning. So I'll probably release it this weekend. Awesome. The training awesome. modules, too, we're, we're, we're doing really well with the training modules. I took a different spin on the training modules now where, because, you know, being a Ronin is about sharing, right? It's about sharing my life, sharing my experience. Hopefully, you know, what works for me will work for you, you know? Uh, and that's what social media, right, is about. It's trying to make each other better. You know, obviously, you have your haters. <laughs> but those are the toxins, right? Those are the toxic people. But look past those those haters and go towards the people that actually want to learn. Because that's truly what social media is about. It's about sharing your life experience, learning, hopefully become better, right? So uh, I'll be releasing uh, more of my online training modules. But how I took it, my spin is, let's say... I say, Derek, you're a big time follower. You want to learn the martial arts. And let's say I go to New Orleans, right? So Ruthie and I are packing for New Orleans. We film that. We film us going in New Orleans, enjoying the culture, the food, talking to the local people. And then it goes into the teachings of Ronin, where I actually teach the hands on. So you're attending the class with me, right? So that's how I, I plan to do my future training modules to share the experience. Like, even when I'm in Japan, you know, I, I would like to film, like, okay, this is me, what was it? You know, film, you know, possibly me meditating or talking about significance of, of how this changed my life, you know, and made me become better, you know, look past the war or whatever. So, um, so we started constructing a lot of our training modules in that aspect to, to really be personal and, and, and share that. Um, but the, the first training module really took off, and uh, I'm really happy with it. Really big, big success on it. That is awesome. I thought it was an excellent idea when I saw your start post uh, lessons and classes online, because there's I'm sure you get hit up with this all the time. There's a lot of people that really want to learn from you, but just don't have the means to make it out to one of your classes. Yeah, I mean, we, we get asked to go to Germany. Munich. We get asked to go to Colombia, like I was talking about, um, Brazil. I just, you know, I just can't travel that much. You know? so, um, so I decided to release the online training module so we can kind of meet halfway kind of give them that teachings but also frees up my schedule because um because we're getting into the hollywood and i want to produce the book and documentary stuff i, I have to free up a lot of time for my teachings to, to do where i want to go with, with, with the future project that is awesome one last question from the chat before we wrap this up uh what is your most memorable moments uh in the training world like during the um uh post-military as you've been uh, traveling around and offering classes? I, I would say that, you know, I was over in Dallas teaching, right? And uh, I was talking about a mindset. I talked about fear. Because one of the officers, like, you know, how, how do you face fear? Do you, do you get scared? Like, yeah, of course. Because if you have a lot to lose, you're going to be afraid, right? I'm, I'm afraid of losing my life. I'm afraid of losing the, the lifestyle that I worked so hard to have. I, I love my parents. You know, so if you have a lot to lose, you're going to be afraid. But then I talk about the mindset to overlook that with, with purpose, right? So I asked the police officer, which, you know, why did you join the police department? You to serve and protect. So I'll say, so that's the higher purpose. So if you truly feel that as a path, 
and you you would die for it, right? I already told you that you know during a lot of my special forces training that I'd rather die, you know, and I, I truly mean that. It's not a word. I truly mean that because I, I taught that sometimes I was going to die. But the thing is, so I, I talked to him. I remember this police officer, and he he was kind of uh, had a lot on his mind. And then uh, about a month later, he sent me an email, and he said that last night he was caught up in a, a gunfight. He responded to a uh, basically a assault. Uh, and he pulled up there. The paramedics was there. Uh, it was really bad. He got caught up in the X. He was getting shot at. He told me that uh, he's, he was so nervous that he forgot to put his car on park. He was trying to bail out of the car. The car was still moving, and the car ran into a tree. He, he got behind the car, returned fire. Unfortunately, the paramedic, you know, well, there, there was a couple guys that, that died during the, uh, the exchange of gunfire, but the paramedic lived, right? And that police officer lived. And I remember he said to me during the email that it was the mindset more than the training. And because he was scared at one time getting behind uh, the rear axle of the car, and he knew he had to make his way towards the paramedic. And he said he was scared. But the, the, the teachings allowed him to reach past the fear. And that's, that's really hard because I, I know this. I know how it, it felt to be afraid, you know. But he overcame it. And uh, he saved the paramedic's life. He returned home to his family. So what better reward than that? That you're actually, in, in your little way, making a difference. Right? So, you know, in my little, my journeys of running, I'm trying to make a difference, you know, and that, that really uh, resonated with me. That email. And I get a few of those emails, you know, since I, since I started this company. So um, that, to me, means a lot. And that's what keeps me going. That, that is amazing to know that you're making real difference in helping to save lives with what you're teaching well thank you again too for coming on has been has been a blast today nathan thank you for jumping in as well no problem always having you uh nathan where can people listening go and find you get our website at www.schultz that's s-c-h-u-l-t-z dash photography.com we're also on instagram at schultz photography underscore and twitter at schultz photo underscore thank you and and two where can people find you Oh, you can find me on um, www.roanintactics.com. That's my website. You can also find me on social media at Ronin Tactics on Facebook and also on Instagram at Ronin Tactics. Excellent. If you're not following Ronin Tactics already, you definitely need to fix that. Thank you guys for jumping on. Uh, any last remarks or anything like that before we wrap up for the day? No, it was, it was great talking to everybody. Um, hopefully, you know, um, me sharing my personal life story um can help and uh, also motivate you to become better because that's what it is that's what it's all about it's it's to be better than who you are yesterday and um you know like you guys doing this podcast you know, you're educating people and making them better and I, I appreciate that and i appreciate you inviting me on to allow me to share my story awesome awesome thank you everyone for listening we appreciate you hanging out with us and we'll see you next time